Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Smackdown Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick. In the absence of Adam Wilborn, you will miss him. And I'm joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that happened on Friday's Smackdown show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we review Smackdown, Raw, NXT, AEW Dynamite, pay-per-views we hold wrestling interviews and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture in addition to roundtable discussions on get the table of course but for now hamlet we are reviewing smackdown what are your broad thoughts on the show um so i had other plans this weekend that meant i couldn't watch smackdown on saturday as you may yeah. be i'm a hoarse voice the world is returning to a cautious normal um, and, you know, it's strange now that you get a Smackdown like this where we're only two weeks into crowds coming back and it's like, oh, yeah, but crowds are coming back to other things. So you can go places, you can go and do those things. And it's, I felt a bit guilty because, like, it made it feel a little bit inessential. And then when I finally got around to watching it last night, Sunday, here in the UK, I was quietly impressed with a couple of developments. I'd gone spoiler free because it's really easy to avoid WWE conversation online now. Um, and a couple of things I really, really liked. And I'm a sucker for the likes of the presentation with which we got rolling loud. Jesus Christ. I know those fans didn't care, but there certainly was a lot of them, wasn't there? And I just couldn't stop looking. I could not stop looking at like what an amazing visual it was. Um, imperfect execution, but a really cool idea. A very um, WCW out-of-the-box idea that I'd like to see WWE do more of in the new normal, quote-unquote. This is something they should absolutely lean into. Um, find ways to make things look big. Find ways to make things look cool. Like I say, the action that went down was, didn't really matter. But like we look back fondly on stupid 90s WCW ideas. And I want to see more of this from WWE because they almost never left their own bubble in the old world. Yeah, I was high on the prospect of it. I promise. Like me and Murray were talking on Friday um, people might think that I'm doing the whole Ryan Satin's barber shtick, but I promise this is true. <laughs> Genuinely. Like I was me and Murray having a conversation about wrestling, like we dogs do. And I was like, I'm buzzing to SmackDown tonight. This rolling loud stuff is completely unique, totally different. There's gonna be loads and loads of people there. It's just I'm a big big fan of anything in professional wrestling that is not homogenized. It's mm. why I gravitate towards AEW as much as I do, because they present a self-professed buffet, smorgasbord of professional wrestling. Like this week alone, we're getting a death match, a Southern-style tag, and a 10-man state-of-the-art multi-man on Dynamite. So I genuinely was looking forward to the Rolling Loud portion of the SmackDown show. Different aesthetic. Like, I just liked looking at the sunset. Mm. That was about it, but we'll drill into that when we go through the show chronologically, as is uh, custom. But before we got to the Rolling Loud portion of the show, John Cena kicked it off, because, um, of course, he did. And he talked about how great it was to be back. He licked some arse. He did some usual stuff like that. He did the whole... He 
did his thing where he said various things that you'll never remember, but each and every single thing he said through his masterful delivery got an actual boom of a reaction. It was great. And when he finally got to the subject at hand, he referred to Roman, uh, Roman, I was going to call him Roman Lames. <laughs> Straight out of 2016, he referred to Roman Reigns, Roman goddamn Reigns as, quote, a lifeless egomaniac. So we are continuing the bang, 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 shoot season element of this feud. And he said that everyone can feel how close they are to Cena and Reigns going face to face. And he couldn't think of a better place than the one we happen to be in right now. Hmm. What are the odds? What if he'd said like Baltimore, Maryland? The Cleveland, like, what about us? The opposite of like a cheap pop. It's a cheap pop, but you have to hear it in another building, like a few thousand miles away. I, terribly convenient, but you know what? It all worked out in the absolute end. He goes on to bury um, SmackDown with Roman Reigns at the helm after a very misjudged uh, middle name patter about changing his middle name to Guardian due to a name change in a particular Cleveland sporting franchise. Mm. And then he gets the crowd back on board by saying that there's dozens, almost hundreds of Roman Reigns fans who disagree with him, that he is not, in fact, a lifeless egomaniac. But the important thing is they can be heard now no more Thunderdome, etc., etc. At which point, Paul Heyman arrives on the stage, claims that Roman Reigns isn't listening because John Cena simply isn't worth his time. And in a little moment that absolutely popped me, he decides to do an absolutely crude <laughs> version of John Cena's theme and simply walks off. So the central thread here is that Roman Reigns feels that John Cena, or at least this version of the John Cena character, is beneath them. How did this opening segment land for you? Yeah, pretty well, to be honest. Um, kind of mirrored my thoughts of what he did on Raw, John Cena. Um, not that the content was irrelevant, but I didn't think the content was amazing, but the delivery was exceptional, and it dragged middling content over the line. Didn't love the cheapening of the Universal title on Raw, and I didn't love the mild reducing of the Roman Reigns character here. But you cannot argue with the like responses that Cena got from this audience and indeed Raw's um, that somehow, and I love this, and SummerSlam's a month away and I'm confident they can make it. They have arrived at John Cena the babyface versus Roman Reigns the heel and they want it and they're going to get those reactions. It is quite unfathomable in 2021 that they've got this. So I quite like that at very least they're nurturing that because... There's not been a year where you would have been able to call that dynamic and it being effective at the same time. And that feels so exciting. This is a big match, but it, WWE have very nearly screwed up lots of their big matches with bad builds. And this is just all giving me a good feeling. And like not to jump ahead too much, but we did on the SmackDown preview on Friday. We kind of called not the who would come and potentially take Cena's place in this match, but we did call Roman saying no because it was quite nice that Cena teed up that option for him on Raw. Far more interesting for Roman to say, no thanks. And you could feel that in the air again here. So I was quite glad that they went in that direction. Not just the WWE, it's official. Or more egregiously recently, Edge coming out for that attack, that surprise return. And them dropping a graphic the same weekend. And it's like, so what, Edge has already done some paperwork with Adam Pearce. And he's just attacked the Universal Champion, the supposedly all-knowing Roman Reigns, with the subtext of, oh, I'm going to give up the title because I'll beat everybody, is now in a title match that he had no idea was going to happen. Like, I much prefer this way of getting to the match than that just, we know it's a massive match, we know these are the big stars, let's throw the poster up. They're trying to tell a story, and I admire them trying to attempt the basics, but they're big stars. I have to echo that to a degree. I'm not the biggest fan of shoot-season promos and just burying the guy you're going to face with the idea that, well, if you think that little of them, who have you beat? Mm. I've laboured on this point several times. The difference here, and as you really adeptly pointed out, is that they've got a big star baby face, mega star baby face, like a proper legitimate heel who doesn't generate the wrong kind of heat. Roman Reigns, in effect, is kind of bulletproof at this point as his character. So even if I don't necessarily think in theory it's the best way to build a feud, in practice and execution, it does not matter. Like, Rowan Reigns is 
over in the right way. Not any great needle-moving degree, mind you, but he is over in the right way that none of this feels like John Cena's on a sabotage or as it used to be when Super Cena was in his prime, like these guys were just reduced so badly, so badly when he used to deliver this particular style of promo. There's none of that feeling here because they've done such a tremendous bang-up job of presenting Roman. So if you're going to do something consistent with John Cena's character and you're trying to build a little bit of they really hate each other, intrigue. Like, I wouldn't want to see this if John Cena comes back and he does it with someone like, I don't know, insert literally any other name, but it doesn't not work against Roman and it feels big time. The crowd are going to be with him all the way. The delivery is exceptional, so you can't really complain about it whatsoever. Um, you get a little recap of Finn Balor's return. And that leads to the obvious match, which they built last week between Finn Balor and Sami Zayn. Um, it's not particularly go away awesome. It's not particularly long. But you get some nice work between the two, various counters. It's worked at a brisk pace. That's not um, too WWE, where we can invoke WWE itself as a pejorative, methodical pacing, the same structure. Some nice and creative cutoffs. The pacing's quite nice, a bit refreshing. It's not blow away. It's quite short. Finn Balor gets a pretty easy win. En route to the ring is the main somewhat unsettling story bit here. He smiles. We've reached a point now, Hamlet, where I don't want to see Finn Balor look remotely happy. I'd rather he had a job face because the memories of that smile and how eerie and uncanny and fake it was. Just one, haunt me to begin with. And two, just make me terrified about the future when he's just a generic, smiley, happy guy. So... Yeah, those are my thoughts. What were yours? Yeah, there was a tell um, in the comeback thing with Sami Zayn the week prior where he did the hands up thing twice instead of doing the gun fingers. So you're like, oh God, it's like all of that sort of been undone from this. We can make jokes about how successful Finn Balor was away from NXT, but his character got a much needed overhaul. And that was welcome, I think. I think they're trying to find the middle. I think they're trying to find a compromise between the old Finn Balor and the one that obviously, you know, the, the Prince Brandon helps with that. Um, I think his demeanour is different in the ring and was different later on. And that's got to count for something, but I'm the same as you. I don't need to see like a hard return of that, that Finn Balor that literally happy to be there because if you're not happy with that, why would you be there? You know, the, the booking wasn't that good. The, it wasn't like his career trajectory was the kind of thing that would make him feel thrilled. So it was just, I, I'm happy to be making great money at this point in my career. The match was the match was that sort of, like, formulaic is too cruel, clinical, isn't really fair. But it's that match that, like, Finn Balor and Sami Zayn can have in their sleep with each other. Yeah. There's a weird, um, it's, it's so coincidence, but there's a weird, and I think you might have been at both of these, as I was, when Sami Zayn got injured in 2015, his first match back was against Finn Balor at a house show in Newcastle. Yes, I was there. When Sami Zayn returned after WrestleMania 35 on Raw and fell over on the ramp in New York, his first match was against Finn Balor. And now Finn Balor returns and it's against Sami Zayn. It's impossible for them to have a bad match, but at the same time, within WWE's fairly sort of rigorous and strict match layout policy on television, it's very difficult for them to have a great one. And it's like, it's nearly impossible to analyze like they're both so tenured and experienced that it's not even like one of them, you're looking for them one on the show out or like surprise you they just close their eyes and flick a couple of switches and have this professional wrestling match not bad but not something i'll ever watch again or remember yeah i'm a little bit wary of being labeled a hypocrite here because neither you nor i were particularly hot on serious ace figure finn balor in mm. nxt but I think so much converged to sort of numb us on that. The oppressive, drab atmosphere of the Capital Wrestling Center, just the general tone of that main event scene. Like, I legitimately think that the Prince with the next version of Balor, if he's presented legitimately, like, works in wonderful contrast to the main roster. Um, so a departure from that, uh, it's probably not as good. Like, look, I'd, I'd take guy who works four and quarter star matches that don't particularly grip me on an emotional level to the smiling guy like every single day of the week so hopefully i mean he's doomed everything's doomed so i don't know why we're discussing it but you know we get paid to do it so yeah Bala wins um possible uneasy feeling that they just 
I don't want to say jobbed out Zane, but it was a very decisive and quick win, and he's been profiled on telly for a lot longer. Personally, I probably would have spent a few more weeks building this. I mm. might have given it more time, but this is just what they do. They rush things, and then they repeat things. Uh, what more can you say? Now, here's something that got way more traction than the return of Finn Balor. And again, it's all kind of caveated with, well, we've seen this before. Like The NXT to main roster system is broken, and we'll get there on several podcasts over the next few weeks. So there's only a limited amount of um, optimism with which you can approach something like Balor returning. It's like, well, we've been here before, and it was rubbish. That's why you had to go back to NXT to rehab his career. But regardless, something that didn't hover with a certain cloud of cynicism, inexplicably, was the development of future Happy Corbin, Baron Corbin, who's backstage... He's interviewed by Kayla Braxton with the white shirt, unironed. He's got an additional ketchup stain with the implication <laughs> being that you can only wear one shirt. And uh, he was asked about his crowdfunding effort. And he says, ah, God, carnied out. The guy took my money, <laughs> built a rubbish website, and I've just been screwed yet again. And he's been ghosted. Um, he's got zero credit. You had to take a bus to get here. And public buses, oh, God, you can take... Baron Corbin out of King Corbin, but you can't take Vince McMahon out of Baron Corbin because according to him, public buses smell like curdled cheese and gym socks. Like it's just such an unpleasant, like uh, elementary school humor aspect to it. What do you think of this development? It was furthered better in a WWE.com exclusive as literally every single WWE storyline development is. But what do you think? Can we combine this with what happened later on? Of course. You know, it's it's an angle in two parts, I guess. Like this, um, uh, there was a creeping sense the prior week that there was stuff to like here. There were really, I don't want to say they were getting the Corbin character because, of course, it starts started as all things did with baby faces being arseholes. Um, but Corbin himself was performing the role to such a level that you're kind of, all right, like he's really committing to this. And there's, there's quite a bit that you kind of, if he's going to get on board so much, then you can kind of want to watch, like give them that pass of letting them play out and see where it goes. You just didn't need the likes of Rick Boogs making crap jokes. An enormous fix this week. An enormous fix of having a baby face not be an arsehole. And Kevin Owens giving him $20 and telling him maybe not to be such a jerk to people. Like, it's not without importance that. Because the whole idea now is that Corbin has got to learn from this. Like, he's got to learn from Owens' generosity of spirit and try and be a, a better man. And that the road to happiness is not through his stakes and his Panama hats, but through being a good guy. And the two ways you go is that you actually do like a bootstraps story and Corbin somehow becomes like this surprise babyface hit. Or he does that thing where he gets to a certain level and Mr. Burns puts Lisa's face on all the cans of tuna. Yeah, yeah. And he screws Kevin Owens, you know. And either way, it's pretty good. You know, like either way, that's it's. It's sort of interesting. I want to see which way he's going to go storytelling when he, like the the stuff with Kayla, I did see the dot com stuff and he says, is this even rock bottom? So I love the idea of like him. We are approaching that point now where, as you say, the road to happy Corbin begins. Um, Ziggler and Rude, in contrast to their cheese and gym socks line being very 80s high school, Ziggler and Rude as the 80s high school jocks stealing the $20 was, was great, I thought. And again, like just... It's crass, rubbish comedy, but at least they're thinking. They put in a segment earlier on where, like, Knox and Shotty can't fix the tank. And then that exists for the purpose of that later on. So I just like that there's something joined up in the process of all that as well. Um, yeah, like, I don't want to call it a triumph, but I quite enjoy it. I, I'm quite enjoying this. Yeah, it's, I'm enjoying it. It's one of those things where I would say it's not great, but it's well-crafted. And again, we talk a lot about the curve and the bar and all the rest of it. But as you point out, they've built punchlines across this show, which, you know, is a hook. And these are things that, like, are bare minimum. We should be analysing the quality of these techniques rather than the fact that WWE have actually begun to apply techniques to the writing. But, you know, that's where we're at. And not bad at all. Slapstick, comedy, like Corbin plays world weary very well. It's quite a hard thing to get over as somewhat entertaining. He's meant to be doing this sort of defeated mono, like monotone delivery and he's making it somehow entertaining. And I do generally think there's something to admire there. 
Um, speaking of something to admire, that absolutely isn't the case in the next segment. I was so mystified that no match happened at the end of it. I just could not believe my eyes. I mean, I wasn't particularly complaining because it's combinations of guys we've seen like uh, throughout the Thunderdome to the point of complete and utter apathy. But what happens is Big E comes out. I like this element because he's won the money in the bank. He's being presented as a star. He has some words to say. And he's there to soak up some richly deserved, for once, you deserve a chance. He, however, is interrupted by Apollo Crews. And he says, why are you, why are you celebrating the fact that you might win a title? I should be out here celebrating because I do have the title. Here's where it gets inexplicable, even by WWE standards. When Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode emerge... They say, well, we can't talk about a singles title without a tag team. It's like, well, you can. Of course you can. <laughs> you can't talk about the Intercontinental title with us. One of us has completely ruined its legacy by just holding it without having any memorable reigns or defences. So odd. Like, you can't talk about chalk without cheese. Well, you can. That was so odd. That was so odd. Then Rick Boogs comes out, brings out Shinsuke Nakamura, and it's a promo train. It's precisely the sort of thing that WWE just does then, now, forever, together. And we're together in this because we are contractually obligated to review whatever the hell this was. And then another guy comes out, and it's Cesaro. And he says, I want that title. And it's like, wasn't this about the briefcase? It's like Biggie's not challenging, surely, for the Intercontinental title. Tell us he's not going to do that, Hamflin. And try to explain to me what this was at the same time. Of course he's not going to do that. Um, Jesus Christ, yeah, what was this? So the one positive is that, so they, um, what this was, was obscuring the fact that they just took a match off that they'd already previewed. They had previewed Apollo Crews versus Big E. <clears throat> As you say, nobody wants to see any more of that, ever. So it wasn't a big loss to the show. But they also previewed it as something that was going to be taking place at Rolling Loud. And really inspired to change that up and have Big E be in front of his audience rather than a fairly disinterested festival one. A huge moment. The chance were deserved. The milk in it even more so. And that would have been like I know like he and the New Day have got a like established relationship with Wale, for example, but like the, the audience just wouldn't have cared. Like here's one of these novelty wrestlers holding up what looks like a toy and it's a briefcase. And we know it matters, but they don't. And it's just like I think they would have been so wasted at Rolling Loud. So I'm glad that they brought him back here for that. The rest of this was what? Like a pull apart now. What's worse? Like an impromptu three-way being a, a impromptu trios match being set up by this, or an impromptu trios match for next week that nobody cares about, but they've decided to preview a week in advance. I don't know which one's worse because they do need to move away from the impromptu stuff. And I guess they've set up a six-man tag, but it's it's, it's I was gonna say it's a thin premise, it's not even a premise. You're right. You can't talk about X without Y. Like, absurd. They've invented reasons to be pissed off. And in the case of Ziggler and Rude, they've invented reasons to be friends with Apollo Crews. All of a sudden, stupid, wasteful television. And not the sort of thing, ultimately, that you want to see Big E mixed in with too much. Because they're going to beat him loads. We know this. It's money in the bank. They just see that as a license to pin guys because they've got the ultimate safety net golden ticket thing. Um, but it's not just about taking the losses, it's about who you're associating with. And it's high time that that briefcase was more than just a reminder. It needs to sort of represent Big E's, like, I want Mo to come down on his fan and lift Big E away from this, like he did Homer when he was fighting Dredrick Tatum. He shouldn't be amongst these dweebs anymore. Like, that briefcase should be a belt at the end of the day for Big E. But it's not going to feel like that if he spends the next eight months or whatever, still mithering about in the SmackDown mid-card. Start giving him something to do. Yeah, really odd this, because the idea was, and it's a decent one, remind people that Big E's over, do a nice thing on behalf of Big E, but then just undermine it by doing the most rotten tropes, a particularly inexplicable version of a rotten trope, which just undermines the whole thing. You mentioned Rolling Loud. That's where the show went to next. And I'm telling you, I'm not lying. I was really buzzed for this. And I was so deflated and I was almost laughing at how much they botched this. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take it in three stages. I'm going to tell you very briefly what happened because there was very little to what actually did. I'm going to tell you how they should have done it 
and how they were arrogant not to do something like this. And then I'm going to get your thoughts on it. So what happens is that Wally comes out. Obviously, he's got um, fingers in the hip-hop and WWE pies. That's the one sensible thing they did. He brings out the Street Profits. We get a match between Angelo Dawkins and Chad Gable without any kind of context or anything. They have an extremely mid, total cliche of a WWE match that is just worked in the same gear as most garden variety WWE matches are. It ends quickly. You don't have any time to get this disinterested crowd on the hook with any kind of a story. It's just simply a WWE match transplanted into a context that doesn't really, gauging by the audience reaction, want to watch a WWE match. Then you get Bianca Belair. She works Carmella in just a longer version of what I've just said. It's a showcase for Bianca Belair. No one's interested. They've been given no reason whatsoever to know who these characters are, much less invest in them. And with all due respect, it's not a great match. It's not the kind of match that you could take a non-wrestling fan to uh, to watch and to think, right. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Yes. You can't get over the fact that it's not real, even though you'll watch Game of Thrones or Godzilla or whatever, or superheroes or whatever. There's a divide there. It's weird that you can't reconcile this, but you can with that, whatever. There's no blow-away awesome move, like this incredible feat of athleticism that you can't not go wow at. Mm. It's just very WWE action without any context, and no one cares. They realised... No one cares. I believe this was recorded like an hour before um, just to allow them. I think obviously logistically it probably worked out like that. They probably, if they've had the opportunity, calculated it in such a way so they could sweeten the lack of reaction. And goddamn, did they sweeten this. The dissonance was insulting and like nightmarish on the ears. You can see a sea of totally bored faces. And what a big sea. What a beautiful sunset as well. They visibly do not care. And that collides horrendously with the fact that they are piping in noises that are trying to create the illusion that they do. It's so obvious. It's so fake. It's so distracting. It's so rubbish. I would call this a disaster, like genuinely almost disastrous levels, even though I love the idea and I hope they persist with it with a bit more care in terms of how they should do it with a bit more care. Right. Here's the thing. It's so arrogant to assume that, WWE is hitting people who don't like it. Hence the ratings, stasis, and um, some of the poor ticket sales. I know some markets are strong, but these are WWE fans just wanting it after a year and a half. Why not simply, and this is so goddamn easy, have a heel come out. Have the heel bury either hip-hop in general or one of the starring headliners of the festival specifically actually work hard to research who these guys are so you can craft specific gags that are really going to hit home with their audience. This crowd hate this heel, get a genuinely talented one on the microphone um, to do it. And then when the baby face comes out, you've got at least an appetite, some kind of a reaction there to build on. The person who buries hip-hop or one of the starring headliners gets beaten up with some really cool-looking moves. You might get something out of this audience. Instead, WWE just presented its product 
that no one ex- outside of the hardcore fan watches and just said, here you are, isn't this great? And they went, not really. <clears throat> yeah. I, so it didn't hit me in that way that I considered it a disaster. But it was it's strange. <laughs> it was a strange echo of the Thunderdome because I was looking at hundreds of faces and I could hear nothing. I could hear nothing real. Well, yeah, but like, obviously thousands and thousands of faces and you could hear nothing. So the atmosphere, one didn't marry up with the other, which was less than ideal. You've got wrestlers. It was just a ton of like contrasts. You got wrestlers with just this sea of people, this ocean of heads. But like the, the, the wrestlers weren't working to them and the fans weren't giving them any of the energy. So you had this great visual with no audio attachment to it. So the whole thing fell apart. As you say, racing through the matches, that's what it felt like. We've got to get in and get out because they're just not bothered. So we'll just do this nice and quick. Be more creative with this kind of opportunity. It's, I feel like even ruthless aggression years WWE, if we're now just settling on calling that era that, would have got this right. I would have imagined um, like a heel Santino back when he was like stopping Maria doing Playboy, you know, whatever. Just something really broad and on the nose that is going to get however many thousands, let's say 20,000 people to just boo because it's the Pavlovian response to this character. And then that character gets his comeuppance as a result of a baby face coming out and doing some big spots. You know, Steve Austin stuns Santino Morella at Rolling Loud. Would have got a big pop, for example. So I, I, I cannot work out why they didn't do that. I understand. Well, I understand that, like, because they're a content company, they can make content out of this. They can make thumbnails. And you can't hear thumbnails. So all you'll see is Carmella and Bianca Belair wrestling in front of a sea of people. Or all you'll see is what they tell you, which is Wale getting the crowd hyped at Rolling Loud for WWE action, you know? Have you ever watched the main event of WrestleMania 35 since you were there in person? Or have you seen WWE's beautifully curated highlights package of the WrestleMania 35 main event? That's what they'll want people to remember. And they'll believe they got what they needed. This is going to appear on those wretched videos that Stephanie McMahon tweets live from the Business Leaders Conference 2022 in Madrid or something like that. And we're going to be like, it's a national brand and blah, 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 where it's fruitless to analyse this as a wrestling product, this bit specifically, because it didn't feel like that. It felt like they were doing something for pictures and they were doing something for gifts because they're silent too. It wasn't for us. It was just, it was a really, really poor execution of something that for a good two or three minutes, I was just happy to stare at. Um, I, Chad Gable doing tuition-like stuff. It's not the right content for Rolling Loud. It's just odd. I, I would qualify it as a disaster because what they've done is, and it's a good job no one's watching, they've basically shown the world that the world doesn't care. A silly, 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 lazy, almost justified because they didn't put any effort into it whatsoever. Um, terrible, terrible, terrible idea. No, great idea, terrible execution. I did see just quickly, though, there was an image that did the rounds of a merch table at Rolling Loud. And you could, and I wonder if they sold any. Imagine at a festival when your money's limited and the beers and the food are so expensive, etc. And then you think, mind, I, I could drop $425 on a universal title replica. Yeah, nah. So, like, did anyone did anyone buy one? Somebody, find somebody online who was walking around Rolling Loud with no food, no drink, no clean clothes, but a universal title. I mean, it's just totally odd. We cut back from the portion of the show that isn't live to the potential annoyance of the actual live crowd in Cleveland to the backstage segment <laughs> uh, with Kevin Owens, Shotzi, Knox, Baron Corbin and the like. It's good. We talked about how it was good earlier. You possibly should have just got the crowd back into it with a match. They didn't go that route. But up next, it's another promo segment, but this one's in the ring, so the crowd are at least there to react to it. Edge comes back, and we get a, a recap of the events that happened at Money in the Bank. Edge um, grabs a microphone, and he is so happy 
to be there in front of the crowd. It's nice to legitimately see the guy smile. He played it so seriously last year to much derision. Like, he genuinely... When Cena does this shtick, you know there's a corny element and he knows the exact things to say to get the exact reactions. Like, Edge, and I love this on this sterile show, like, legitimately seemed overwhelmed by just how over he is. It was great to see. He then does the entitled thing, but it's Edge, so who cares? He says he should be standing there as Universal Champion. He blames Seth Rollins for the reasons that he isn't. He thought... Um, that he had uh, the strategy with the Mysterios in place, but he didn't count on Seth Rollins being there, even though Seth Rollins on the night itself basically said he was going to interfere in the match, so he probably should have got a contingency plan, but he didn't. Um, he didn't, rather. There is a nice bit of um, hashtag LTST as they bring up the occasion back in 2014 when Seth Rollins um, threatened to break Edge's neck in order for the authority to be reformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the crack. And it's one of those, I like that you've done it, but at the same time, if you think about it with any kind of deep thought, Edge, probably the second he was cleared, should have went for Seth Rollins there and then. But mm-hmm. didn't. We're here now. At the very least, like they are telling you that your investment to some degree matters, and um, I won't complain about that whatsoever. Um, Edge says the back, and him and Seth Rollins are now in each other's way. Rollins has got no idea about the Pandora's box of pain that he's opened, and he says that he's learned from the most evil minds in the history of this industry. He was in the brood. He was in the. <laughs> it's like that was all very hokey. You've done way worse things as like yourself when you weren't like half green. So that was an odd thing to bring up, but you know, years ago as well, like two decades ago. Yeah, the fans at least pop for the reference, but that's because they're all 55. Um, that is when Seth Rollins comes out. And I'm telling you now, it is so Bush League, his attempt at getting heat. It completely torpedoed the segment for me. What he does is he <clears throat> cackles, he laughs, and he plays it so cartoonish. And there's, like, there's no substance to the words you're saying. There's no real emotional hook to the story, despite the fact that the stakes should suggest otherwise. He's doing things that the second act, like Butlins does, to get a rise out of the audience. He just is simply really annoying. And uh, that's changed the channel heat for me. That's not getting you involved in the story. That's not presenting yourself as a major player. Uh, I hated it. I hated it. And I really wish he would stop because there's actual story here and they are undermining it. Um, basically, he says that Edge and John Cena can come back, jump the line whenever they want, and he's going to be the person at the front of it standing in his way. He refers to him consistently as Grandpa Edge. Um, Seth Rollins isn't 25. He's been there for a long old time. It's not the route I would take. He says that Edge is a scumbag, and he said that nothing would make him happier than killing Edge's dream and ending his little comeback story. We get, despite some pretty rubbish um, verbal performances from Seth Rollins here. A really hot brawl. The exact kind of brawl you should be doing to build anticipation for the match. And what I mean by that is just as it's thought that Edge has got Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins scarpers out the ring. He's still very physically gifted at playing the dickhead. If he was as verbally gifted, we'd have a hot program here. I would describe it as the one I'm looking forward to, but it's not setting me on fire. What do you think? Yeah, pretty much echo that. Um, Cedric, it's going to be a birthday, Arthur Ashe. I bought you a ticket to the show, but instead of wrapping paper, I've packaged it in human shit because that's what this promo was. Seth Rollins had to Seth Rollins over really good material, really good material. I've been full of praise for this. This is one of two storylines that has been set up before an existing wrestler's angle has finished. Kofi and Bobby was on the way before Bobby was finished with Drew. Seth and Edge was happening before the events of Money in the Bank. Great. Like, Cannot praise that enough. They should always be thinking about what's next. These wrestlers should be able to exist in like two things at once. They're allowed to have lives beyond the thing they're doing that very week. This needs to be a sign of things to come. Um, not least because of the previous, which again, I think they've I think they've got it about right, actually. You lean on that 2014 interaction just enough to have it be the inciting incident of a locker room standoff, not an entire feud. There's, for the want of a better phrase, an edge to their interactions because of what happened in 2014, but it's not going to be the sole reason they're going to fight in 2021. So they've got that right for me. Do put a video on there if you want. Show people once that people might not have seen it. It's only seven years ago. It's not the brood. 
it's not 21 years back you know you can you can bring that up um and there is also something to seth rollins again a bit of agency because this is what started this off in the first place he's now got edge and john cena as examples of being like unfairly overlooked roman reigns didn't name him in that promo either i've beaten everybody there's nobody left for me to beat Seth Rollins is a guy that is feeling pretty talked down to when he believes he should have this like legendary status. I don't mind that either. I think that's like some good in character logic to all of that. And then it's Grandpa Edge, and then it's the laugh, and then it's and I hate this. In my mind, maybe not. Maybe this is just isolated to me, and I dare say you, Seth Rollins, thinking that this is like a star delivery. Of A star material. That's the worst bit. Is this idea that like he thinks I am nailing this and this is gold? Like it just makes me cringe. Like I, I cannot get through one of these promos because of how much belief I think Seth Rollins has in it. But material good, source material, raw material great, evidenced in the brawl. Um, I, this is not a bang on comparison, but we are very much the same as relates to some of malachi black's presentation there he is lights on lights off teleporting funny eye but the brawl was really hot so it works clearly the material is there because the brawl with cody was really hot i think the same is true of this clearly the material is good enough because people want edge and seth to fight and edge doing the eye lied thing is the right baby face for edge to play the grizzled running his hair through the strands of it, his hands through the strands of his hair before WrestleMania stuff was grim, but he was still getting cheered when the crowds came back. Let him be this baby face, glint in his eye, rated our superstar baby face, not sad old man. So fundamentally all of what I want, I just wish Rollins didn't have to Rollins it so much. Yeah, he's Rollins in it, like he is Rollins it, all right. Um, up next, Tony Storm made her in-ring debut, defeating Zelina Vega in a very quick match that essentially functioned as like a condensed highlight reel for Tony Storm stuff. And Tony Storm stuff largely looks awesome. So this is a really nice three minutes for me. Um, the headbutt looks awesome. Um, Bridge and German suplex look great. And then uh, Storm's finish. Storm won. Storm one. Yeah, the sequel to Storm Zero. Yes, class. Like, class finish. Like, it wasn't the most electrifying squash match because it wasn't quite a squash match. But ultimately, for how WWE tends to do these things, I would describe this as home run adjacent without being a total home run. There's obviously work to do. It's like stunning as some of her offense looked. It didn't get the reaction because there wasn't any huge emotional invest- investment or reaction. But just a quick summary of your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, strong for Tony Storm it'd be easy to have a <clears throat> a go at WWE and a little bit at, like sort of the state of things with Zelina Vega she's there getting hypnotised up a ladder on Sunday she's losing in two minutes here um, to try and look at this from a slightly different angle a finisher like Storm 1 gets over the way it does when somebody is perfectly sized and can sell in such a way it's quite a complex move to take and then sell well she took it brilliantly so there is great credit to being the type of utility player that they can trust to go out and get that character over. So this is not one of them weeks where I feel like you can jump on, oh my God, they're burying Zelina Vega again. It's not like these rancid promo trains with Liv Morgan and Sonia Deville and all that. This is very different. I still wish she'd just gone with Alistair Black to AW instead and paired up with Andrade. I think everybody would be better on Wednesdays uh, if she was there. But... um, I, this was a very, very successful presentation of Tony Storm week one. And they are trying through basically just throwing talent on there. Tony Storm is there now. Shotzi and Knox have come up together. Naomi's been drafted. They are addressing what was a huge problem, lack of depth and lack of characters in this women's division. So, you know, like a woman's title match and another woman getting built up in a segment. It's crumbs, but like it's an attempt to fix it on their flagship so I can't be too angry with this. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. It's it's all what happens in week two, three, four, five, or six. That's the ultimate thing. And until they start getting the week sixes and the week sevens and the week eights right, like you can't analyze this as anything other than, yeah, promising start, but those words are cursed. 
Um, so what you're going to do to close out the show, we've got a match come angle if you like. Um, Jimmy Uso defeated Dominic Mysterio in a pretty not great match. Um, before Roman Reigns came out to respond seemingly um, to the issue um, laid, uh, the challenge, sorry, issued by um, John Cena on Raw. Before we get to that, this match was mid-familiar and horrendously botched at the finish. There's this very awkward, what on earth was that Simone drop? And honestly, as bad as that was, I think the actual assisted pin, which they did exactly the same one at the Money in the Bank pre-show, looked almost as bad. I don't understand how Jay Uso gently pressing his feet against his brother's buttocks. That really makes it like this absolutely inescapable pinning combination. I just think it looks totally odd. The fact that they've done it twice must mean they love this spot. I've got no idea why. Regardless, Jimmy Uso wins. And before they retreat to the back, we hear Roman Reigns' music. And that sends all of the bloodline back into the ring, at which point Roman Reigns finally verbally responds to John Cena with an absolutely killer line. He says that he's uh, dismayed at the fact that John Cena, and it's a bit rich coming from Roman this, considering that he did the same thing for years and years and years on end. Um, but he says, he's bringing back a nostalgia act. He's still dressing like the same old John Cena. I'm not interested in working against that. Um, it's beneath me. I'm a bit bored by it, to be honest. And in a wonderful line, he says, it's like doing the missionary position every single night. What I love about that line is that top shagger Roman Reigns, lean hard into this, make <laughs> arms melt. He's, he has... He, does full sex every single night. <laughs> Not only that, but it's like it's wild, different, yeah. you know, different sex. Um, <laughs> genuinely love the idea of Roman Reigns being an absolute lad, an actual megastar alpha in a company that its baby faces for so long have just been smiling. And I know he's not a baby face, but the top stars have tried to be smiling, glad handing, like master of ceremonies if you like roman's a great top star for this company um and then in a development i did not see coming and because of wwe being wwe i'm a little bit scared of finn balor arrives <clears throat> confronts roman and basically wants to be next in line um the crowd do get into this they chant roman scared and uh he accepts finn balor's challenge and then they do the stare down to bring the show to a close my initial thought was well we've just seen on raw that a full-time star has been used and beaten soundly to build um the challenge of the returning part-timer is this going to go any differently to finn Balor? and realistically as much as we might clutch those pearls at this stage given that we know that finn Balor has a ceiling on the main roster can you possibly care that much? You know, I, I thought this was like a nice wrinkle to the bigger story, the, the John Cena. You're right to make the comparisons, obviously, but John Cena, Roman Reigns is it. And it's quite nice that they found a way to divert your attention from that ever so slightly while John Cena's back for this month. Um, it makes me think that you're going to get a minimum of two hot matches now instead of just one. Brilliant. Um, <clears throat> and he used to say that, like, Finn Balor, it's WWE, nobody's ever really buried because you just magically fix them the next day because nobody cares about anything. So this won't kill Balor to be positioned as yet another, like, kind of not quite tippy-toppy challenger for Roman Reigns in a, Roman Reigns in a line of them over this year, which they've done a really good job of establishing these people as making you feel like they can be the guy and then very quickly you realise they're not. Um, I've got to echo your praise of the Roman Reigns promo as well. Not just the line, but... Um, his delivery, he has now got to adapt the Thunderdome whisper into the live audience, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, without betraying the character he's been the last few months. You know, we've done, we've had long chats and podcasts and the like, but people are putting him on that level. And it's, I think he did a really masterful job here of knowing when to turn it up, when to go almost a little bit sleazy and skeevy as a heel. And... What I loved about the Roman scared chant in particular, it's not exactly something that rolls off the tongue. I know the cadence fit just fine, but it really does highlight how well WWE have done at getting people to buy in to the element of the Roman Reigns character, which is my favourite, which is him constantly obscuring cowardice with bluster. Like all the time, he's always obscuring cowardice. He doesn't ever really want to defend the title, but he never feels like one of them champions that's like, I didn't want to come here tonight to do my job for a living. You know, like a Miz or someone yeah. like that. Never ever feels like that. 
But that's what all of this is. That's what all of this head of the table nonsense is. You know, it's the, the Tony Soprano. The best comparison to the Tony Soprano thing is not him sitting in a chair, stroking his chin and thinking about the next move on the chessboard. It's about him not wanting to go out and being in the line of fire. And the fact that they chanted Roman Reigns being scared speaks to how successful that message has been and getting out there in feud after feud after feud. Cesaro wasn't for nothing. Edge wasn't for nothing. Daniel Bryan wasn't for nothing and so on and so on. So I was really impressed with that. And then Roman has to obscure it again by going, challenge accepted. He has to because he's being called on his, on his bullshit ultimately. And Finn Balor's the perfect opponent for that because Roman knows he can beat him, but he also knows he can obscure that cowardice one more time just by taking on the challenge and hoping that he's got the use of there to cheat to help him win. Yeah. I really, really like all of this. And I don't even mind that Finn Balor is ultimately, yes, going to be reduced to a hurdle en route to John Cena. Yeah, absolutely. Hot main event segment, an interesting detour. And you're not watching the right company if you are approaching this diversion with, oh God, Finn Balor's going to get buried on the main roster. It's like, as you said, he'll get buried. And then he'll do a program somehow that's quite good. And then he'll get buried again or he'll get normalized or whatever. Like these old criticisms simply do not apply. It's all measured against the curve. None of it's remotely ideal. They've got a major program that the crowd are actually reacting to um, accordingly. And they've added a wrinkle to it. It measured against the general WWE standard. This is all quite good and it all completely elevated a pretty woeful in general SmackDown show for me. Um, But yeah, this has been the SmackDown review. We'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, the link underneath on Twitter, at which you can follow us at WhatCultureWWE. Whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M. Cedric. Once again, you can follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 